This is the Church Planning Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Every week we sit down with leaders who are shaping church planning efforts. Here's your host, Josh Taransky and Clint Clifton. Hey, welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Josh Taransky, and I'm joined by Clint Clifton. Clint. Hey, man. It's, it's great to see you. We're not in the same studio no. like normal. No. Um, actually, uh, where are you recording from? I'm in Owensboro, Kentucky, which is um, America's best kept secret. <laughs> no, no, no. I've got to contend with that because I am in America's best kept secret. <laughs> what is that? I'm outside of Lovettsville. In Loudoun County, house sitting a farm. Wow, I know Lovettsville. Yeah. I didn't know you were there. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I'm my. Si- I have a sister who lives in Owensboro. She's in ministry here. She works at a great church here called Bridgepoint, and um, I am um, renovating her kitchen. She just bought a hundred and thirty year old house in downtown Owensboro, and um, and we're we're uh, putting a kitchen in it and it's got like you know plaster walls and um wow you know like a uh, knob and tube wiring <laughs> oh wow <laughs> oh yeah it's it's old in the the interesting thing is the the wiring got installed as an upgrade on the house probably when electricity was invented you know like oh, uh, <laughs> so the house was before electricity before indoor plumbing and all of that so yeah Pretty crazy. Well, that's fun. That's awesome. Well, um, let's talk about this uh, week's episode. We have Tom. Uh, what's Tom's last name? Bernardo. <laughs> yeah. Tom Bernardo. That's right. Yeah, okay. Tom Bernardo. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Hey, we're a little, we're vacation brain fried. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, actually, I know a little bit of about Tom uh, just because I interacted with him. You read his book. Um, I reached out to him and you got me curious about him. Yeah. But you ultimately did this interview. So yeah. uh, introduce it. What are we going to hear? Well, um, man, he's just really smart uh, man, he's been through a lot in church planting. He's he's kind of a lifelong church planter type, and uh, he he's got such an interesting story because he went out uh, was kind of led a charmed early ministry. Things were going great, everything he touched turned gold ministry wise, and he went out and tried to tried to start a church and ultimately failed. Um, he wasn't able to get the church off the ground, and so uh, God really used that in his life to to rebuild him in, in a way that was good for his soul and good for his walk with Jesus, and um, then ultimately went out and started a second church uh, that um, that does still exist, and um, God used that um, that whole thing in his life in just a really incredible way, and so he talks about that in the interview, um, but he's also just really given his life over the last few years to dedicating himself to helping other uh, guys in his denomination, his um, his particular tribe, uh, get ready for church planting. And, um, he's, he talks about church planting in a way that makes you know that he's got a ton of experience, uh, but he's also really, really honest and truthful. Sometimes when you're recruiting people, like in a job like I'm in, where you want to get people on the field and church planting, you, you tend to like romanticize church planting. Uh, mm-hmm. but Tom doesn't do that at all. He tells you, he tells you all the, all the difficulties about church planting and um, and it's just just really refreshing interview very unique take on church planting so I'm excited for the listeners to hear and that's great and that and the one of the good things about um, 
you know, because you and I come out of uh, the Southern Baptist world, yeah. but we're not committed to only interviewing Southern Baptist planters. We've had right. a whole variety of guys um, right. on, and so it'll be good to, to hear from Tom. And just one other thing, just to add to what you're saying is, man, when God, when God calls you and leads you to do something, um, he'll, he'll provide uh, you with the grace to do that. Mm. And so it doesn't have to be romanticized. Yeah. Um, difficult things can uh, become joyful when you're walking in what God has for you. Yeah. And so church planting is one of those things where, you know, if, if they listen to Tom and they get that realistic perspective, they're like, it scares them away. Well, then maybe, maybe church planting isn't for them. Maybe they're called a pastor in a different context. Yeah. I have one uh, guy I work with in church planting and he's, he's every time he talks to a potential church planner, he, he essentially tries to scare them away. I mean, he tells them all the awful mm-hmm. things that are going to happen to them if they try to start a church. And, um, and you know, his take on it is, well, if they still want to start a church after that, then that, that means that they're genuinely called, you know, they really must have an aspiration. You know, I, I don't really go that far. Um, yeah. you know, for me, starting a church was one of the most, um, joyful, exhilarating things I'd ever done. It was definitely the hardest thing I'd done uh, at that point mm-hmm. in my life, but also really, really worth it. It's, I always describe it as it's kind of like having kids. It's like a good hard, like it's really hard. It's yeah. going to consume your whole life. It's going to change everything. Um, but you wouldn't trade it for the world. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, we've got a word from our sponsor and then we will jump right into this episode with Tom Bernardo. Michael Crawford's new book called Don't Plant, Be Planted, Contrarian Observations About Starting a Church is out now. You can find it anywhere books are sold. And if you pick it up, you should be prepared to hear some sound and hard advice from an experienced church planter about the joys and sorrows and victories and defeats that come with this huge task of planting a new church. Now, Mike Crawford is a veteran. He's a practitioner. He's been out there planting a church in a hard city called Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, he's gotten the church started. It's thriving and it's multiplied. And you need to read this book. He um, shares some very direct and heartfelt um, observations about church planting in a no holds barred kind of way. It's a short read. It's an easy read. I encourage you to pick it up. It's called Don't Plant, Be Planted. And you can find it anywhere books are sold. Tom Bernardo. Thank you for uh, joining me on the Church Playing Podcast. Absolutely. Glad to be here, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. You having me. So this may be the only time I've had a podcast conversation with somebody that I don't know just because I read their book. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's a mistake. You, you can't trust me then. <laughs> I can't. But I read uh, I read your book. And by the time I was to the end of the first chapter, I, I said to myself, like, this is a person I've got to talk to on the on the podcast because uh, I read as you do. I'm sure I read a lot of church planning materials and right. have read, you know, most of what's out there on Amazon, at least um, about church planting. And it's extremely rare to come across something with like the tone and timbre of your book and such an appropriately named book too, the honest guide to church planning. And if I were to read it and then say, what should we call this book? Well, we should call it the honest guide to church planning because that's what it was. So good job on the book. Excellent. Well, thank Uh, you. Yeah. I was super encouraged by it. Well, you know, a lot of that, it just comes out of, like you just said, experience of when I first got into church planting, there weren't books. I mean, there were one or two things out there. Yeah. And, and now it's become a cottage industry. Yeah. And that, and some things tend to happen when 
a cottage industry starts. Everybody starts analyzing. They give scientific methods. They start saying, hey, here's how it's worked. We've beta tested this. We've, you know, we have field tested that. Yeah. And so a whole lot of gets said right now is get, being produced by organizations and denominations. And they're well-meaning people and they have some great success stories, but they also tend to reflect this, the success stories and try to formulize that. Right. And as somebody who has walked this road, I found myself thinking, why is it that my story sounds nothing like these stories? Right. I mean, nothing like them. And I'm, I, I used to go to the conferences and I would just be completely demoralized when they're trying to excite us right. because they put people on the stage. They said, look at this, look what this guy experienced or this, these people, look what happened. And I would feel so um, ashamed of the fact that I wasn't celebrating that. I was right. discouraged by it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that just led over a long time in my own journey, but also in helping people now and coaching church planters to say, somebody needs to give voice to what it's really like yeah. in the trenches for the real people who are doing this and aren't having those experiences, what right. I call the lottery winners. Somebody wins a lottery, <laughs> yes, but it's not me and it's not you and most of us. It doesn't go anything like that. So to say, what are you going to experience when you plant a church that no one's talking about? Right. Because it doesn't sell books. It doesn't get you to conferences. Right. But there's a there's this fraternity out there that is just dying yeah. or struggling or wondering what's wrong. And I thought, you know what? Somebody needs to, to kind of outshout that noise a little bit yeah. and say, okay, if you this is you, let's talk. Yeah. Which we laid a well, bit about that a little bit. I'm glad you did, and I, I, uh, of course, have spent a lot of time recommending church planning books to to people. At, it's one of the most common questions new church planners ask: What's the best book out there on church planning, or what's the thing you want to read? And so, I have uh, I have already begun um, uh, passing passing this recommendation along. And I, I hope if you're a church planter or somebody who works with church planners that you would. Um, spend the 13 bucks or whatever it is on Amazon and go buy this book and, um, and, and read it. Cause you'll, Tom's right. It is, it is going to give you a clear and honest picture of the reality of church planting. And I love even the blurb for the book. You, you say like, um, you know, for those who haven't yet entered into church planting, it's going to be an honest picture of it. And for those of you who are on the other side of it, you're going to, you're going to say, Oh yeah, that was me. And, and most, um, even, even successful or seemingly successful church planners in my experience have these same experiences. They just, um, you know, they just, they just feel them on a different scale. Um, but the same vulnerabilities, the same weaknesses exist in my experience with every church planner. Yeah. There's, you know, there's a lot of dirty little secrets. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason they're kept as secrets is because to to acknowledge them, first of all, you feel like you're exposing the fact that you're a failure. Yeah. Um, if you say, I feel these things or I've experienced these things or it's not going the way it was scripted to go or I'm not mm-hmm. keeping up with the benchmarks. Um, the other thing is that it just, it, you know, how do you say this? It, it just, it doesn't look good. It's yeah. bad optics to yeah. say. And, and what I really want to say in, in this book, um, Clint, is that, is that I love church planting. I'm committed yeah. to church planting. I, I still, we know uh, without a doubt, it is the singular best way to reach lost people with the gospel right. of Jesus Christ. That none of that's changed. We need to, it, it, I, I want to celebrate church planting. Uh, but when you're in environments like some of us are, and not everybody, but some of us are, where you know, you've got supporters and they want to hear good stories, you know, and you feel this pressure to spin everything to make it sound like things are going better than they are. And you don't have, you just feel lonelier and lonelier. You feel like you start to feel like 
I mean, you go into, you say, I want to be a genuine person. I want to yeah. be an authentic person. We live our lives that way. And suddenly I'm in with my tribe and I can't, mm-hmm. don't feel like I can do that. Right. And just to give permission to say, it's okay to feel that way. You're not alone when you feel that way. Yeah. And this is kind of the way it is. Right. I mean, if you really read scripture, you're going to find out the kingdom advances much, much slower than American Christianity wants it to. <laughs> And and that and our sending agencies demand it be sometimes. Yeah. And to say, is it okay to say, hey, we're feeling these things, and there's nothing wrong with you necessarily when you feel those things. Just no. want to give permission for that. Yeah, and and, and the book does a great job of that. So, um, I want to uh, diving into your background a little bit. What would cause you to be yeah. um, so forthright about that? You're you're right now in a role uh, with the Fellowship of Evangelical Evangelical Churches where you are. Um, co-leading that network of churches. And uh, so you're working with a lot of church planters in that role, but you also were a church planter yourself twice over. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll try to tell you the story without um, getting emotional because I I tend to, but it's part of the journey. Um, And when I got, when I became a Christian at a young age, I I was dared to preach a sermon. I was 16 years old and (laughs) something happened. And some would say it was the calling of God on my life. And yeah. there's an element of that. But there was also a thing where it was just almost like something magical happened. People started responding to it. And I would start getting invited places and speaking. So I was like this golden child, right? Yeah. All through college, I go to seminary. And then from there, I get invited to go to this mega church. I was a youth pastor for several years. Um, I just kind of got weaned on what ministry looked like, what God's blessing looked like, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And and then when I started sensing the pull toward doing something different, to trying to reach a, a, a new generation, the idea of planting a church and pioneering, I felt like, okay, that's this faith stretch I need. That's where I should probably exercise my gifts. And I kind of expected that everything would go that way, you know. And then, of course, you read the books. They say do it A, B, and C, and you'll get X, Y, Z results and all this stuff. And picked up i was living in the midwest moved out to the west coast you know los angeles i figure i'm going i'm going to be the next big thing right and over the next uh couple years i cannot tell you uh accurately what happened um it was the beginning of a severe mercy in my life and a deep deep surgery that god started to do to expose some stuff that um just rocked me and uh, he began to unearth uh, an, an inbred narcissism that had been had been developed in me. Um, I don't like admitting that, but that's absolutely what it was. Some some bad theology about what God's blessing looks like and about how the kingdom works and what my gifts are and and my identity and it was so wrapped up in being able to produce and have certain kinds of responses. And that I'll tell you that just shook me to the core. Now I had um, I had studied under Larry Crabb years ago, and so I had a whole foundation for authentic community at the base of Christianity. But that just kind of got set aside for a while. I can't kind of came back to that and said, you know, what am I supposed to do with all this? And I'm I'm, I'm fast forward. There's just a whole lot more of that. But when we were given another opportunity to plant a church again, I mm-hmm. said, you know what? I'm, I think I need to repent, <laughs> and I think I need to do this differently. So we. We moved back to the Midwest. We planted a wholly different kind of church. We planted a cell-based church, yeah. relationally based, all that kind of thing. What's funny about it is 
probably a year into our second church plant because we'd had to close the doors on the first one. It died. Mm-hmm. Um, we were pretty much at the same place we had been a year into the first one. And I, I, re- I you know, so you're trying to think, oh, this is a healthier way to do this. I feel healthier how I'm doing it. The results seem kind of the same. Yeah. Like it's very slow. It's incremental. What's wrong, you know? And through that, and then over the next 25 years, just seeing how God worked and what, what was a very slow bake, yeah. a very faithfulness-oriented kind of thing, um, it, it revolutionized my thinking. I began looking at places to say, um, you know, what if what, we're, what we've been taught is kind of a bill of goods, you know? Yeah. What, what if that's not the accurate picture? What if, and as I more I studied scripture, the more I looked at it, the more I saw places around the world and how the kingdom grows. And then the more I started working then with other church planters, I saw, um, man, th- there were casualties everywhere. Yeah. I mean, everywhere. And I almost was one myself. Yeah. People who not only s- closed up churches, but some who get who stepped out of ministry. And I have good friends who stepped away from the faith as yeah. a result of being church planters and seeing experiences that they didn't know what to do with, you know, right. and it didn't match their picture of who God was and what he worked. And they started asking harder questions and came to some pretty unfortunate conclusions, I think. And so over the last period of time, and then when I finally, after I, the, the second church we planted is still going, I handed it off after 20 some years to my um my my assistant my my partner in ministry yeah. he's still doing it it's fantastic that he's doing it but i was asked to say hey would you like to invest in this next generation of guys yeah give that give voice to that and so that's kind of where that came from yeah that's great and you were telling me before our conver- our our recording started that you were kind of uh, a guy who was uh, negative about denominations now you're working for one uh, so yeah it's it's so <laughs> ironic yeah how'd that happen yeah, you know, I I came to faith in a um, a, a very it was an independent Bible church, mm-hmm. very um, evangelical, probably fundamentalistic, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of was weaned on not having skepticism about denominations, and then where I went to college and seminary, that denominations I just saw, I saw denominations eat their young. Yeah. It was just brutal to watch, and and I just said I don't have any time for that. I went to the mega church, was which was independent. Um, when I was completely destroyed by the failure of our first church plant and had for the first time in my life, I had nobody interested in me. Nobody wanted to talk to me. I was like, (laughs) I felt completely on the shelf. It was a rough time. And the group that I'm with now, Fellowship of Evangelical Churches, I met the, the president of that group and he came alongside me. He said, I want to, I want to talk to you because we're looking for guys like you. And I said, how in the world could you be looking for guys like me? You know, Mm -hmm. he said, we want guys who are broken. We want guys who, who can are still might be gifted, but something's happened in their life. Mm-hmm. And and then I started meeting other people who are like minded like that, who didn't kind of care whether their tattoo was on everything. Yeah. Didn't care who was getting the credit. Yeah. And I thought, wow, there's something really significant. And I, I write about this too, about, you know, it's such a lonely thing. Doing ministry right. is such a lone leadership is such a lonely thing. To find the right kind of people, because I don't have much time for ministeriums. I, you know, uh, you know, when people get together and they just all kind of, they they kind of humble brag with each other. Yeah. You know how that works. Yeah. Um, 
I just didn't want to do that. But but when I started getting around guys who said, hey, we're going to talk about what it's really like. And we're going to encourage each other and pray, really pray for each other, figure out how to celebrate and resource each other. Yeah. I thought, wow, there's something yeah. really empowering about that. And that just kind of rekindled my sense of, or maybe even for the first time said, you know what, there's something really redemptive about this. Yeah. Pretty biblical too. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, there's, there's, in my experience, there's the difference in kind of the, the way church planting happens in a network or in a denomination where it's like standards are laid out, you know, aspirational you know, models are, are shown and, you know, young guys, ambitious guys jump at that and try to achieve those things. Um, but the whole relationship is based on their belief that they can achieve those things and everyone else's belief that they can achieve those things. And then when they hit hard times, there's, there's sort of a, a, a discreditedness and discreditedness to them, you know, that it absolutely dis- discards them. And, and that's so different than being a part of a family, you know, um, you know, where it sort of is the attitude that I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know how it's going to work out, but we're together no matter what. And, right. uh, and you know, there's, <laughs> there's, I think there's, there's value to some of the collaboration that happens in denominational life, but even underneath that, it's really important to have for, for the success. And I think health of a church planter for them to have a group of people around them who are able to be honest, like you're talking about. Yeah. You know, I say this, I've, I've got an opportunity then to talk to denominational leaders and sending yeah. agencies, um, and, and if you got any of your listeners who are, are in ascending church or pastor of ascending church or, you know, just in, the, in any of those roles, I, I, I really want, I would love for them to hear this, to say, you have the power of life and death in how you handle this thing. Right. Because it's one thing to say, make sure that the planter, and, and if, if their planter's listening, of course, I'd say, do not, this, this is a non-negotiable, you have got to find a, a a group of people who can relate to you and it's a safe place. Okay. But beyond that, if you're a sending group, the signals that you send to your people and, and you can say it till you're blue in the face, but follow the money. Right. You know, so if you say to them, Hey, we got a plan. We want, you're a person, but if your benchmarks are all about externals and they're all all about, okay, the books say you should have this many people by this amount of time. You should baptize this many people by this amount of time. You should have, you know, whatever attendance at your, launch service of this um and by month six it should be here and by month it should be with the specter outside that says if this doesn't happen yeah your funding is going to get yanked or you know we're going to deem you a a failure i would say you have no i don't think you have any idea how much of a bearing you've got not just on whether that church survives yeah but where that person goes yeah um, yeah. And if you if you say to them we are with you, and even if you eventually have to close it, yeah. If you could just say do it in such a way that it gives a, more time than you thought, walks through a process, yeah. and make sure the person understands this is not about you. This yeah. is about we're we're trying to take enemy territory. It doesn't fall easily. It's yeah. not it's not just put up a sign and marketing correctly and preaching great ser- sermons. Yeah. We're trying to take back. You know, we, we've got a supernatural enemy who's fighting us tooth and nail. Right. Give some space for some hard, some setbacks. Okay. And, and if you're in a sending group and you could, if you can communicate that and you've got some dollars behind it, that will be, that will breathe life into a guy that yeah. says, we're with you. Hang in there a little bit. 
Yeah, one of the one of the metrics of success for for me is making sure that nobody's failing because of a lack of resources. You know, like it's okay. Sometimes church plants fail. You know, um, sometimes church planters de- deem that church planting is not for them, and they right. you know they they change their mind down the road. But I don't I don't ever want to give up on somebody who stepped into this ring. You know, if I'm if I'm there and saying I'm going to stand with you, if you go on this faith journey, I'm going to walk alongside you. I'm never going to be the one to abandon you. You know, right? Um, I, and, I worked uh, with I worked with a guy who his his sending church sent them out. They had a real successful daughter church that they planted. Yeah. And so they replicated it. They said, oh, we found the formula, which, okay, yeah. mistake number one. <laughs> Be skeptical. <laughs> it's, it's not the formula. Yeah. And he's a really gifted guy. And they sent him out with a core group of 50 people. And they sent him out with funding. And about a year later into their plant, they probably had about 75 people yeah. in, their, in, their, you know, in their group. And it was probably just over a year later, they pulled the plug. And they yeah. said, ah, we're going to bring everybody home. And and when I talked to this group, they said, well, you know, we we wanted it to be self-supporting within X amount of months. And yeah. and, and in that time, Clint, uh, in that year to year and a half, they had probably had two dozen people make professions of faith. Right. They had baptized probably 15 to 30 people. Right. Their, their numbers had grown by 50%. Right. I mean, that's just phenomenal growth, you know, yeah. if you really step back from it. And, uh, but they just called everybody home and, and just to, to do what you just said, to say it, how that could have changed if they would have said to him, Hey, you know what? This may not have gone the way we projected, but boy, look at what God is doing right. and look how he's using you and we're mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. It would have gone a completely different way. Yeah. I, I think too, the way that the weight of church planting is often put squarely like 100% on the shoulders of the church planter is um, the church planter usually wants it like that because he he deems that he'll be successful, so he he wants in a sense all the credit for that success. Right. Um, but he also doesn't realize that if he's unsuccessful, then he bears all the weight for that failure. And he feel I, I literally this morning talked to a church planter who resigned this morning, and um, and he said I feel like a failure, and I, I spent most of my time telling him you, you're not a failure. You're a man who had faith and stepped out and responded to Jesus's call for you to do this thing. And there's a church that exists because you did what you did, what you did, you know, and um, people met Jesus and like what point, point me to the average Christian and I'll show you somebody who didn't do what you did there. <laughs> you know, it, it's good. It's two, it's two sides of the same coin um, where one of the reasons where you're so vulnerable when it doesn't go right is because of what we bring into it when we start. And I, I say this to church planters when I speak in general to them, and I say this very kindly, and I say it as a, as one myself who this is true of. Mm-hmm. I say, here's the thing. I know, we know your secret. Okay, here's, here's a secret. You are really arrogant. Yeah. Now, I don't say that to be disparaging, okay? But if you're gonna be a pioneer, if anybody who aspires to be a pioneer, who says, yeah. I, I'm gonna go in to do this thing, it's it's what I call the the dark side of leadership, right? Yeah. So leadership, you need leadership, but the dark side of leadership, the, the is it, it always comes attached, is hubris and arrogance, yeah. and and we've preached on it, and we can tell, we can talk to people how we're, you know, how God has humbled us, but he, doggone it, don't don't try to get us. We know you're arrogant, right. so I just say that, 
say, now, the fact that you're arrogant going into it has positives and negatives. Okay. There's a confidence part of, of right. that when I say that, that you have, you've got gifts and you know what they are and you want to use them. The thing that, like you said, is what we'll take credit for if it goes well. Right. Yeah. But here's the thing that you got to know when you go into that, you've got a father in heaven who knows you really, really well. Yeah. And job one, when you step into this role is not to plant a church in his mind. Job one is to make you into his son's image. And in order to do that, get ready for something to happen. And right. I call it the great weakening. Mm-hmm. The, and I don't think most of us are expecting that to happen. And part of the great weakening is sometimes that a church has to fail completely. Yeah. It has, you know, church plant has to die. And that's what gets our attention. That happened in my case. Yeah. But, but there's, but there's other things that God will allow to come into our lives and we will, and I, man, I'll tell you, man, I had it out with him. I mean, on multiple occasions, I'm, I'm screaming at him saying, I sacrificed, I've given, tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to change. Right. And it was, and it was radio silence. I could not hear, you know how they always joke about, well, you know, or they don't joke about it. This is a theology point. People say, well, you know, when you're at the very end of yourself, that's when you hear God. And when he speaks, no, I was at the very end of myself and I didn't hear anything. Yeah. It was, it was, and, and I was angry I'm, and I'm saying, and, but I was angry and then I was frustrated and then I was wounded and they all kind of came together yeah. and to say, you know, so God, God will introduce things into our lives to say, okay, let's, let's, we got, we got to deal with the disease. Yeah. Let's bring the disease into some remission. And so he'll introduce financial issues. He'll introduce family issues. He'll introduce relational issues. He's not. He's not creating evil in your life, but he's leveraging the things that will weaken you to, to help rebuild you so that if it goes well, you're not in a position where you're taking as much yeah. credit. <laughs> and if it doesn't go well, you don't find yourself saying, I've been abandoned by God, you know, because that's just bad theology. You know? And so he says, no, I, I'm going to remake you. And the thing that I say to, to people so here's what happened to me. I'll tell you this, Clint, that this is just my own personal story. I got to the place where it's like, okay, he's weakened me. He's weakened me. I don't get it. I don't like it, but I at least will give him permission to do it with the idea. Okay. Once this is done, then I get to have some success. And here's the thing that the other part of it, no, that's not the promise either. You know, it's not when, when we hear second Corinthians 12 and we hear, Paul say, when I was weak, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Right. We mistake that to hear. We hear, we think we're hearing him say, after I've been weakened enough, then he makes me strong. But that's not what he says. And yeah. I call it the principle of perpetual weakening. That you know what? If you're going to lead in the kingdom, if you're going to lead a church, you got to get used to the fact it's not just it's not going to get better. <laughs> I mean, some some of the things will. will subside but he's going to keep introducing things into your life that are weakening agents hmm. kind of get used to that that's what he does he preserves glory for himself for that are you okay with that yeah you know and i think that for guys to get to a place where they go okay if this is how it's going to be would i still sign up for it yeah yeah and i do think that most of us who allow that surgery to happen and a lot of your listeners are probably at this place right now and if they say okay I can get over myself and I can say, I trust you. I'm going to let you do this. Right. There's a freedom that comes with that. And yeah. there's a, even a joy in the midst of it. Yeah. 
that it, that allows us to go longer term. Yeah, you're so right. You, as you're talking, you're reminding me of this journal entry I wrote in about three years into my church planting work that was, you know, essentially asking the question, is it possible to get postpartum depression after the birth of a new church? Mm. (laughs) Because I feel like I have it, (laughs) Yeah, you know, and it was really like I, in that, in that dialogue really with myself and with God, you know, I was recounting like the eagerness that I had to start the new church, the optimism, and then the surprise that started to settle in when I wasn't quite the leader I thought I should be, or when other people thought I wasn't, um, or, or just the surprise that I wasn't as fruitful as I had bet on myself to be. Um, uh, the disorientation that came after that, uh, Oh, if I'm not that, then what I am I, if I, I put all my eggs in this basket and, and, and now I don't know what to do because it didn't pan out the way I thought it would. And then like shock and disbelief of that. Yeah. And then, and then, okay, this the determination. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to double down on it, you know, and, and going through cycles of, of that determination, uh, leading to eventual cynicism and frustration, um, that led to dissatisfaction and then ultimately to despair and remorse that I even got into church planting in the first place. And then me just looking for a way of escape. And I think that is a process that every church planter goes through. So common, so common for every one guy who has a, you know, just an incline this, it seems like it's going up there 10,000 that don't have that happen. And I do think, you know, we don't want to wallow in our despair. Obviously no one wants to stay there. It's not fun to stay there, but I think part of it is to try to, that God has a way of transforming our minds and giving us perspective that we wouldn't, that we, we didn't think that's why we got into church planting. We just wanted to see people come to Christ. Right. Right. And we, and maybe we had, Hey, maybe I'd be a, you know, on a big stage someday and maybe I can do some cool stuff. But what he winds up doing is revealing more of yourself to, or himself to us. And, and like, if, you know, we all studied Elijah after his big victory and then he goes into this <laughs> depressive state and, 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 and part of what I've reflected on that, that I even write about it a little bit, is, is what we understand the vision that God gives us to be. Yeah. Because I think Elijah had a vision that, okay, God's going to show up in this powerful way. He's, the prophets of Baal are going to you know, be destroyed. The kingdom is going to be restored. You know, and, and, and then it doesn't go that way. He gets his life threatened. He's, he's chased. And, and what happens there, I think, is, is he had a vision that he thought was from God. Yeah. Of what this was going to look like. God then says, oh, yeah, no, that wasn't my intention. That's not how I said it was going to work. And I do think that as church planters, every every church planter has a vision. Mm-hmm. They say, and we believe it comes from God. Yeah. Well, it includes these component parts of how it's going to go and how people are going to respond. And right. we have this longing and prayer, and it's all well motivated. Yeah. And then God says, oh, yeah, no, I gave you that vision. Oh, I didn't intend for you to fulfill it. Oh, and we go, wait a minute, you just baited and switched me. I'm like, oh, no. and, and God says, no, that wasn't my intention. Uh, my intention was I'm going to do significant things for my glory and your good. And when it's done, if you let it, if you yeah. let this happen, you will not regret it. Yeah. You would say, I would do it again. But in the middle of it, you've got a decision to make. Yeah. What you do with that depression, what you do with that discouragement. So, you know, one one of the phrases that I picked up from somebody else is, God has this, what we, what theologians call his sovereign will for every situation. And his sovereign will is something that is in the mind of God. 
He knows what it is, but he's never telling us that. Yeah. The only way we know his sovereign will is what we look back and see. Yeah. So in the middle of it, we say, well, look, God showed me his will. It's to plant the church, it's this vision thing. And, said, and God says, no, I got, a, I got another plan. Is it okay with you? Is it okay with you if the reason I had you plant the church wasn't so it would look like you think it, it was supposed yeah. to look like? But it was because you've got a handful of people whose lives have been completely transformed. Or yeah. is it, or even to say, I brought you to this place so that your children would meet and marry somebody they wouldn't have otherwise, so that their grandchildren could make an impact for me in a certain place that you're never even going to live to see. Is that okay with you? Is that, if I told you my sovereign will for planting a church was just to accomplish that, or in somebody in your core group's life, or your, is that okay? Yeah. And I think we all have to be, honest and ask that question it's like would i sign up for it if that's the case yeah. and in my early days i would have to say the honest answer is no no i, wasn't, I wouldn't <laughs> sign up for that i wouldn't have either uh honestly i signed up with you know the image in my mind was signing the bottom of the contract waiting for the lord to fill in the details but the truth is i had all these expectations and i found myself in despair uh, when, when those expectations didn't come about. And so I always tell church planners that, that the, the major war that's going to happen over the first three years of their church planning journey is a war with expectations. You know, mm -hmm. they're gonna, they're gonna have thoughts, ambitions, ideas, dreams, vocalized or not vocalized that will be, you know, crushed <laughs> day yeah. after day after day, things about their leadership, their, about their, you know, ability to gather people about their, you know, ability to raise money, all the, all those things are just, and, and so the, the very thing that draws people into church plantings, that sort of confidence in the Lord's ability to use me for his good and glory draws us into it. But it's also the thing that sets us up to just blow, sort of be crushed blow by blow, you know, as it goes, I, you know, I, that's so good. I, I tell people uh, who I, work with now and I wrote about this that here's the stuff that doesn't show up in the brochures okay yeah. Here, here's the stuff and I tell people in the first five years of your ministry there's this handful of things that you're going to experience and among them are these one of your most trusted confidants and yeah. friends in your thing will betray you yeah here's another one people that, who are the first ones to kind of sign up and say they're ready to go will be <laughs> about among the first ones to leave here's yeah. another thing that will happen People who come to your new church and say things that you'll love to hear, like, oh, this is so refreshing, this is so good. And then they'll talk negatively about their previous church or churches, yeah. and they'll say, oh, they didn't know what they were doing, and they hurt us, and they wounded us. Some of those, many of those same people will leave your church and go to another one and say the exact same things about your church, justified or not. Right. And then I say, and do, do this, take a picture on the first day your core group gets together. Take a yeah. picture of the group. They're great. God has a reason for them to be there. Five yeah. years from now, none of them will be there. And yeah. and people go, oh, no, that's not right. And, you know, because we've made these, I've known them for years. And I go, oh, it's not, it's not personal, They but things will happen. All right. And some will, most of them will be outside your control. Some of them yeah. will be not justified. Some of them will just be life changes. But here's the thing. When you, when you, if you can know that, the reason I say that is not to discourage people and some of your listeners right now are in the middle of that they got yeah. people that that has just happened they are wounded and they feel betrayed and they're saying i does god not care for me what or or here's or worse what's wrong with me something's yeah. wrong because and some of them are hearing things well it's because of you okay when i tell them i say all right, all right when you go into the effect that can have on you when it takes you into a tailspin 
Mm-hmm. And you go into that depression and you go into that discouragement. At least know this. This is how it is. Mm-hmm. It's not you necessarily. I mean, there's always things you could do differently. But this is how it is. This is mm-hmm. life on earth. This is a sinful world we live in. This is how the battle, spiritual battles are affected. And this is part of the surgery on your own soul, too, that yeah. God wants to do. Just don't let that tank you to the place where you say, I'm done. Let yeah. Give God a chance to work through that. And you will see things that you can't script come out yeah. of it that will yeah. that you'll be grateful for. Yeah, I totally agree. I always tell my one of the things I'm telling church planners, it feels like every week, if not every day is there's only one way to ensure that you won't be a failure as a church planter. And that's to never give up. Right. If you, if you just don't quit and you put, you wake up every day and you put one foot in front of the other and you resolve to learn from the mistakes of yesterday and to allow the Lord to teach you and grow you continue to pursue his purposes in your life and surround yourself with people that fill in your weaknesses every day, just get up and do it every day. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the, and I'm sure Clint, you, you've seen this, but uh, you know, I, and I want to be careful how I say this because you don't want to say, I, I can't say whether God is telling somebody to do something or not. Right. But yeah. I see so many guys who quit in a year or two years yeah, or three years. Too. And, and I say, and, and what happens often is they will say, and part of this is a coping thing. They'll say, well, it, it's like the Trump card. It's like you, the, you, that you can't, if they play this card, you can't argue against it. Yeah. Well, we just sensed God saying it was time to move on. And I say, okay, but before you say that, would you invite some other people to speak into that, be his instruments, and yeah. really check his word and, and ask yourself, is this, is it because it just hasn't gone the way you thought it should, that yeah. you're, uh, you're, you're ascribing it that must be from God? Yeah. Or is it because you're discouraged, and that discouragement you're saying must be the voice of God? Yeah. Because if you hang in there, you will see that um, it, it accomplishes something that there is. When, when I was going through our, our big failure, I'll tell you, there, you, you could have asked me, I said this to people, I don't see anything redemptive happening here. I don't see yeah. God working. He's not yeah. teaching me anything. Yep. I don't think I'm learning anything. I'm just, my faith is eroding. <laughs> That's what it felt and like. And now, and now, it's a it's a central point in your life of God's absolutely. And, and I go, how did that happen? How did, how yeah. did God do that? Where I would look back and now say that is one of the most holy times of my life. Yeah. No, and I right. would have sworn to you, He was nowhere near me and not yeah. in it. Amazing yeah. how that works. It is amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, and um, yeah. So if you're, I mean, if you're listening today and you're a church planter, I mean, we we talk about failure quite a lot on the church planting podcast and the possibility of failure and things like that. But I just I, I want you to, I want you to hear me from two guys who have gone through really difficult seasons in church planting and and um like don't 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 give up. Mm. <laughs> you know the the um the giving up. You know I, I was I was reminded too. You were mentioning that. Sometimes guys say, well, I feel like God wants me to do this. I, I think another very common thing I hear is that it's just isn't sustainable or healthy for me or my family. Right. And I just think like to go through suffering is not the same as to go, to go through. God uses suffering in our life for good. So to go through a difficult season of ministry, I mean, like signed up for gospel ministry. What did you think it was going to be like. I mean, you signed up for church planting. Everyone you talked to before you did this said, this is going to be hard. I mean, this is what it means to be hard. And, you know, it's supposed to bring you to a point of breaking, feeling like you're going to break. Every church planter goes through that. And I would say even those that are unusually successful, uh, it's, it's 
almost, I, I don't think I could, of all the church planners I've ever worked with, I don't think I've had anybody who would say like, yeah, it was a peaceful ride. Like everything went smooth and really didn't have any kind of bumps in the road. And not had any substantive happen through it. That's no, for sure. right. no, even um, now what does happen sometimes is that more mature people plant churches. So people who have been through life enough to know, oh, nothing really goes that smooth. And they, right. so then they're anticipating and looking for it in the same way that you or I would, if we were to plant a church today, we go in very, uh, open-eyed and very aware of the realities of what it's like. Right. So, Well, and it's funny because um, a lot of times when I was uh, still pastoring a church and then church planters were coming to town, I would always initiate contact and I'd just get together with them. Yeah, And I would just want to say, hey, first of all, um, I really want to be somebody, uh, I'm for you. And yeah. you're going to have some churches that say they're for you, but they're not really for you. They're yeah. territorial. I really want to be for you. Yeah. But the other thing I would say is, um, I want to be around if, if you find it, you just, at, you find that it's not going so great and you need a safe place, yeah. somebody who's not holding the purse strings on you. And you could just say, yeah. I need somebody who I, who can, I can complain to <laughs> and be safe. Yeah. I just wanted to, to plant that seed. But here's the thing. Whenever I would have that conversation, they look at me like I had two heads. Like, yeah. well, no, why, why, you know, it's because, because they can't oh, conceive sure, of it. I, I, yeah. I, oh, I know it's going to be hard, but, but they did, but yeah. they they're, they wouldn't do it if they didn't think they were going to be different. Yeah. And then it would be a year or two or three years later that we would have really good friendship start and, yeah, yeah. and camaraderie that start because you need somebody who can talk you off that ledge yeah. when the time comes. But it doesn't, but they can tell you you're going to be on the ledge in two years. You won't listen. I didn't listen right. to it. Yeah. No one wants to hear that at that point. Yeah, I, I literally have had, I mean, you've probably had this experience too, but I've had guys sit in front of me and you're like two or three and say, why didn't you tell me it was going to be like this or some, some sentiment right. like that. And I'm like, literally we had entire sessions of training <laughs> where I read you letters from resigning church planters. Exactly. And I said, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. I yeah. don't know what fireworks I could have shot off that would have, yeah, you know, but right. nobody it, can hear it on the front end. It's know? the same thing about like marriage. It's the same thing about having children. Yes, we call marriage. it a, a merciful naivete. Yes. There's a merciful naivete that God maybe allows us to have that says, oh, if you knew what it was going to be, you'd run screaming from the building. Yes, so I'm exactly. going to be merciful to you and let you be naive about it. Yeah. And then it's the exact same. So, you know, I, I've heard people say, and, and I get this, I, there's some element of truth to it. They say, oh, you know, they never taught me that in seminary. They never taught me that in seminary. Okay. Yeah. And I think there's an element of that being true. There's an academia thing. And, yeah. you know, like, come on, you know, talk about real stuff. But there's a reality there. They kind of did talk about some of this stuff in seminary. Yeah, you, you just, you just weren't listening. I wasn't listening. Yeah. And if they could play a recording, go, oh, I guess you did. Okay, but maybe it was my <laughs> issue, not yours. And I think that's yeah. so true in church planting. Yeah. Well, yeah, Tom, this has been a super helpful conversation. I think we could probably do this for a couple hours. <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, it would. Um, thank you so much for uh, spending time uh, sharing. And again, I want to recommend the book. It's called An Honest Guide to Church Planting, uh, Tom Bernardo. And uh, you can get it anywhere books are sold. And um, th again, thanks so much, Tom. Appreciate your, your work. Clint, thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate you having yeah. me. God bless you and everybody who's listening. Thank you for listening to the Church Planning Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. 
Today's episode of the Church Planting Podcast is sponsored by New City Network, the church planting ministry of McLean Bible. A special thanks to today's guest, Josh Taransky produced today's show. Nick Bashane was our editor. Thanks to Hudson Taransky, who provided administrative and web support for the program. And last but not least, thanks to you for listening all the way through to the very end of the Church Planting Podcast. If you'd like more information about our show, feel free to visit our website at www.churchplantingpodcast.org. There you can find all of our past episodes, as well as notes and links from today's show. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so be sure to check us out on the social. And tune in next week for another episode of the Church Planting Podcast.